Chapter 24 of Carpenter's World Travels Alaska, Our Northern Wonderland by Frank Carpenter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Betty B. Chapter 24 Creeks That Made Millionaires. Seward Peninsula, which forms the extreme western end of Alaska, is the golden horn of the North American continent. It is twice as big as Maryland and half the size of Ohio and a great part of it is peppered with gold. The district has already produced more than $80 million worth of gold dust and nuggets, and the country has hardly been scratched. Dr. Alfred H. Brooks, the head of the Alaska Division of the Geological Survey, has estimated that there are more than $200 million worth of gold mixed with its gravels, and the probability is that the total output of minerals will be 50 or more times the amount we paid for Alaska. I have just returned from a trip with Jafet Lindeberg through the greatest gold mines of the Seward Peninsula. They belong to the Pioneer Mining Company founded by Lindeberg, Brintison, and Lindblom, the three lucky Swedes. Since then, more than $6 million worth of gold has been taken out of that creek, and tens of millions have come from the coastal plain through which it runs. The Pioneer Mining Company now owns about 3,000 acres of gold-bearing earth, and is capitalized at $5 million. When gold was discovered, Lindeberg and his partners washed out the first dust by hand, melting the frozen earth with hot water. Today, the washing is done with the finest of mining machinery. Rivers of water have been carried over the mountains to supply the hydraulic giants, and the gold-bearing earth is forced up through pipes to a height of 50 feet into sluice boxes in which the gold is washed out. Some of the company's land is phenomenally rich. 300 acres, or about one-tenth of it, will run, so Mr. Lindeberg told me, from $75,000 to $100,000 of gold to the acre, or in all from 20 to $30 million. The remaining 2,700 acres carry more or less gold, and the company has enough work in sight to keep it busy for many years. I have seen much of Jafet Lindeberg, who, with John Brintison and Eric Lindblom, made the discovery that resulted in the great gold fields of Nome. None of the three men had had much experience in gold mining. Brintison had come from the iron mines of Michigan to search for coal. Lindblom had immigrated from Sweden to San Francisco, where he had worked as a tailor, and came to Alaska on hearing of the gold discoveries at Kotzbue Sound. Lindeberg had come from Norway to aid the United States expedition, which took reindeer from Norway to the starving miners at Dawson. Having heard of Klondike Gold, he took the reindeer contract so as to get to the mines. When he landed with the deer, he heard that gold had been discovered on the Seward Peninsula and came on north to St. Michael. He was prospecting near there along the Fish River when he fell in with Brintison and Lindblom, and the three decided to go westward and test the country about the Snake River, at the mouth of which Nome is situated. They had tested a half dozen creeks flowing into the river, finding more or less gold when they made their discovery on Anvil Creek. That was the 20th of September, 1898. The weather was already cold, but by using hot water, they were able to wash the gravel and took out $1,800 worth of gold within a few days. The pioneer properties are in and about Anvil Creek and include the site of the original discovery. The chief agent in getting out the gold is water, 
which bursts forth from pipes in streams as big around as a telegraph pole and often several hundred feet long. The force of these streams is so great that they would cut a man in two if he tried to cross one. They are so swift you cannot pierce them with an axe. They are sent against the hills and lift up rocks and gravel and shoot them in clouds through the air. At one point of my trip, one of these streams came between me and the sun, and the sand, gravel, and water composing it took on all the colors of the rainbow. I stood for a while and watched the men working. They were clad in slickers and white rubber boots. The pipe from which the stream came was so delicately poised on a pivot that it could be moved with the touch of a finger and made to carry the gold-bearing earth where the man directing it willed. The water boiled and foamed as it struck the glacial ice in which the golden gravel is bedded. It melted the ice, tore the earth away from it, and carried the mass of earth and gravel to the hydraulic lifts. In one place I saw such streams moving mountains of gravel, and everywhere they were forcing the gold, sand, and gravel up great pipes into the sluice boxes. With Mr. Lindeberg I watched the torrent rushing down the sluice boxes. The force of the flood is so enormous that if one should fall into it he would be crushed to a jelly. If he were caught near the bottom of the pipe leading up to a sluice, he would be drawn into it by the suction. Such an accident happened not long ago. A miner fell and was sucked into the hole. Every bit of blood was taken out of his body, and his arms and legs were torn off. After we had examined the sluice boxes, Mr. Lindeberg took us to the sides of a hill and demonstrated the richness of the gold-bearing sand of that part of the mine. He drove a shovel into the hill and carried a couple of quarts of the sand and gravel to one of the little streams that ran through the bed of the pit. He dipped the shovel into the water and moved it slowly about, washing away the dirt and the sand. At the end, he showed us a good-sized pinch of pure gold in grains ranging from the size of coarsely ground coffee to that of fine table salt. My daughter, who was with me, expressed a wish to wash out some gold. She scooped up about a hatful of earth and succeeded in getting out about 75 cents worth of gold. In my talk with Mr. Lindeberg, I asked him to tell me something about the changes in mining. Said he, We started by digging the earth with pick and shovel, and we used the old-fashioned rocker to wash out the gold. Later on, we made sluice boxes and had horses and scrapers. Then came the steam shovel, and now we are doing most of our mining with water and the hydraulic lifts. There has been a great change in the amount of gold saved. Ground that could not be worked at a profit in the old way now pays very well. With our hydraulic sluices, we are able to thaw the glacial formation down to where the gold-bearing gravel lies. We can strip this off with the water, and within a month or so, the air will thaw the gravel to such an extent that we can force it into the lifts and get the gold out. After the glacial earth has been removed, we find that the gold-bearing material runs to a depth of 40 feet or more. It varies in richness, but there is so much of it that we expect to be mining for an indefinite period to come. This far north, the mining season is short, running only for 90 to 100 days of summer. I spent some time today in the melting room of the Merchants and Miners Bank here at Nome. The gold smelting was done in a little room adjoining the bank in a furnace that looked much like a kitchen stove. In the shelves around the walls were melting pots of one kind or another. 
and under them were bins of soda and other materials. When the lid of the stove was lifted, I observed that it was lined with fire clay, and I was shown that it had a blowpipe connected with it. It was as hot as the burning fiery furnace into which the heathen Nebuchadnezzar cast the three Israelites. The assayer was a young man from Sydney, Ohio, and a graduate of the Ohio State University. He is melting about two million dollars worth of gold every year. I watched him at work. First he put some soda and other chemicals into two half-gallon pots of graphite. Then he poured in about two quarts of gold dust and nuggets, handling the stuff as if it were so much cornmeal. Setting the pots on the blazing bed of the furnace, he covered the hole and sent in a draft which raised the temperature to around 2,500 degrees Fahrenheit. It takes only 1,800 degrees to melt gold, so the stuff was soon a liquid mass which boiled and bubbled. When he opened the furnace, the stew was a golden red, and the pots themselves were red hot. He lifted them off with pincers and poured the molten mass into steel molds. As the gold cooled, the impurities in it rose to the top as slag, which crumbled off, leaving a brick of pure metal worth thousands of dollars. The assayer dumped it into a wooden tub filled with cold water and a few moments later took it out and scrubbed it off with an ordinary nail brush. He then wiped it with a 15-cent towel and showed it to me as bright and shining as a new wedding ring. End of section 24